Hey all, I'm proud to welcome you to the recorded roundtable discussion hosted by Incremental and Algolift by Vungle. We gathered four well-known industry thought leaders together to talk about predictions and premonitions for 2021 and the years to come. You'll hear our thoughts about the Apple versus Facebook privacy wars, new fads, how COVID-19 will continue impacting our industry, subscription models, US politics, Clubhouse, and more. We hope you'll enjoy listening to this roundtable. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to our roundtable. Uh, so uh, we organized this roundtable hosted between Incremental and Algolift and Bungle, and basically to try to bring you guys some interesting content. Um, the topic of discussion that we picked was predictions and premonitions for 2021 and the years to come. Uh, maybe starting off, introducing ourselves, I can go first. Um, I'm Maor Sadra. I'm CEO and co-founder at Incremental, an incrementality measurement company. Been in the edtech industry for the last 20 years. Usually I say, hence the white or gray hair, but I'm, a, I'm Eminem these days. Um, yeah, and I've actually known uh, another participant here for the last like 15 years, Paul Bowen. I'm really, really happy to be on the discussion together. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so to introduce myself, my name is Paul Bowen. Uh, I'm GM of Algolith by Bungle. Uh, Algolith was acquired by Bungle four months ago now. Um, and uh, prior to that, I was VP of Account Management at Unity Ads. Uh, and then I've been in ad tech for 20 years, same as Mao. Uh, we used to work together back in the day. Uh, Thomas? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Thomas Petit. Uh, might have seen me online as Thomas BCN. I'm, uh, I'm an independent, so I don't have a little company logo here on the slide. Uh, yeah, I work as an independent. I'm trying to help other apps grow. I specialize in subscription apps, non-gaming, um, on acquisition topics, as well as data measurement and product monetization and boarding. Uh, lots of topics. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, yeah, hope for heated conversations. Hi everyone, I'm Nebo. Uh, I recently joined Zynga as a director of UA. Uh, prior, prior to that, I worked at uh, Network, Machine Zone, Norius uh, for like almost 10 years. So uh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Uh, looking forward to a great conversation. So let's go ahead and ask, uh, we created a couple of questions, guiding questions, but of course, knowing us, we're going to go off topic quite quickly. Um, maybe the first one. So uh, you must have known that like Apple and Facebook are really fighting over the whole topic of IDFA deprecation. Who do you guys think is winning and why? Uh, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, maybe nobody's winning. Uh, I don't know. That would be my instinctive <laughs> answer. Uh, Definitely, like Facebook model is a little bit at risk, considering that Apple is is going straight at them, not not personally, but straight at the model. And there's definitely a risk about. I mean, the reason Facebook is such a massive channel for app advertiser is because it works. And the reason it works is that her user graph and social graph is so advanced, like behavioral targeting. Facebook's the master of it. Even those who have data and try to replicate the lookalike models, for example, they haven't managed to come that far. And this is exactly what is under threat here. So I would say not, not Facebook is a loser. I mean, they're going to survive, but definitely a threat of the competitive advantage that they managed to build over others. Um, I'm not sure Apple is winning that much, but uh, we'll see. Definitely maybe some monetization shift towards IAP and... Some other things, I think here, like what, what Facebook is to lose, Google in, in some extent as well. Um, maybe it's those who relied less on behavioral targeting that are set to win. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, SDK networks like Fungal, um, Unity, AppLovin, Chartboost, you name it, where one, they rely less on, on behavioral targeting, um, two, they know better about contextual in this case. And I think they have a lot of inventory um, and they might benefit from it, at least in the, the short midterm. Um, but that's just a guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say that. I, so I think that not just, so Apple for sure is winning that fight, but I think that the entire industry is kind of winning as a result. It sounds a bit harsh because of course, like developers are really stressed about what's going on. 
But I think that, uh, so first of all, Apple cashed in on brand equity. They went with the trend. Everybody's concerned about privacy, blah, blah, blah. We see the increase in daily active users for Signal just because Facebook and now had to announce something that's been pretty much done for a couple of years. Um, but I think it does give more opportunities for Apple. Now, when Facebook basically said that they're going to kind of like also kill Facebook audience network, will not go to header bidding, even though they ended up doing so, it uh, creates a massive opportunity for all other supply side SDKs there. So that's basically Bungle and Iron Source and Uplovin and Unity and anyone who is out there monetizing as well, because it's going to be kind of like a fair game. I also think that Apple... Well, they didn't execute well um, the whole announcement, IDFA deprecation, but I think that when Facebook put out a New York Times full ad and created a Twitter campaign, how they helped the small guy and ended up with such a backfire of people saying, hey, you closed my account, you killed my business, hey, you closed my account, you please reactivate my account, you literally killed my business. That was probably one of the worst uh, PR backfires I've seen in a long time. Yeah, so I, I would argue um, that it's not, it's not just Facebook and, and Apple that are, are necessarily in, in conflict right now. It really is, it really is the whole industry uh, uh, that is that is in turmoil. So um, I don't think I think been calling out Facebook just because they've been the most vocal about it necessarily makes a ton of sense. I think also we should like define what we mean by winning because I think it's I think it's fair to say that no one's really winning right now. I don't think anyone looks good right now. I think we'll see probably over a over the mid to long term exactly what winning means. And I think uh, Thomas sort of. Uh, noted some of the ways that Apple might win over the over the mid to long term, so a move towards subscriptions um, or or in app purchases, um, a move of advertisers towards Apple Search would be another another move that we may see over the next over the mid to long term. What I would say is, you know, Apple are the platform holder. Uh, the house always wins. Um, so it you know over the mid to long term, Apple will be the winner here, unless we see some form of legislation. Uh, that stops Apple doing what they want to do. Yeah, they're the platform holder. They, they're going to win. If you build your business on top of someone else's platform, you're going to be uh, you're going to be uh, have have any rules and conditions that they put on you, and you don't really have any remedy for that. Um, so ultimately, you know, companies will be innovative and and, and find workarounds or, or build new businesses. But if we want to talk about who's win winning, I mean, Apple are not necessarily winning today because from a PR perspective, it's not been great. But over the mid to long term, this will just strengthen their, their business. Cool. I can just add that I mean, it's clearly like a power move and the short term impact is huge on everyone. But I think in the long run, people will still use apps and want to play games and, and you know, use, use fitness apps and whatnot. And you know, the way we do it, some things might change, but uh, you know, the fundamentals will remain the same. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, that, that's kind of my approach to this. Uh, but the short-term impact is that there's going to be a lot of work on all of us. Yeah, I, I think I actually think that's the most interesting piece. Like, I actually, I actually think getting to solution mindset versus worrying too much about who's winning right now. Um, you know, I, I think the, the the companies who are most innovative and are really working to solve this problem. That's that's where I think uh, the conversation really should be versus where we are today. Um, a lot of people, are, you know, even just now, we're talking about who's winning, who's losing. You know, the, the, the most successful businesses here will be companies that embrace the new paradigm and actually build solutions for that new paradigm versus questioning whether, you know, questioning Apple, what Apple have really said. Did they really say this? Did they really say that? I mean, I, I've experienced this before. Apple, have, you know, we may feel that there's, um, that there's middle ground in, in what Apple have said, but I think they've been pretty explicit. Uh, in in what they've announced, and and so uh, I think just embracing that and really working on solutions going forward is is really going to define who's going to be the winners here. So I think right now we don't necessarily know who the winners, but are but but really just adjusting to this new paradigm and building for it will will really determine who the winners are. And I, I actually think I actually think Facebook have done a really good job of that. I think Facebook have reacted. I, I did. I know they did a really bad PR exercise. But I actually think they've been very forward thinking in terms of just adopting a solution for SCAD network. 
Yeah, I, I really second that in, in two ways. One being that it's an industry that changed really fast. We shouldn't complain about change. We should, like by now, there were changes before. We should realize that the one who adjusts the faster and the best is the one who wins. And it's been like that way before this particular change. So I don't know why we're so freaked out. One of the reasons we are is, and I feel here Apple didn't really execute that well, is the lack of um, specifics in the documentation, the, the, the mere fact that we don't even know the proper calendar, which was early January, then early Q1, then suddenly we're end of, the, of January and nobody has a clue when this is going live. I think this was a major problem. And here Facebook, like they had to change stance because uh, of ongoing development, but at least they really tried to share, this is what we're gonna do, these are the limitations, nine campaigns, blah, blah, update the SDK, really tried to tell developers, here's what you have to do. Uh, like like MMP tried to tell help developers what they have to do. And I think here, Apple didn't really do it well in the sense that they created this, this fear about what do I do? Not who's gonna win, who's gonna lose, but what, what do I have to do for my apps? And we're end of January, it's been eight months we're talking about that. And most people, they're still very unclear on what they have to do even to prep before the change. And I think this is terrible. Um, Google is a little bit to blame here because they haven't communicated anything officially either. And suddenly Apple is going to enforce ATT and from a day to another, okay, update the API and this SDK and this and that and that and these are the metrics. I mean, such a change can't be done in a day and a little bit more of um, definition and going down in the documentation would have been really nice. I mean, Personally, I think Apple's decision goes in the right direction, but the way they executed the decision is a problem uh, for a lot of developers and Apple rely on them for the app economy. So uh, it's a bit of a, of a disappointment in, in the how. The, the what is fine, but the how, uh, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, there I completely agree with you. you know, we were actually, we started the fundraising process before Apple, uh, before Apple announced their change, I remember like, when we were talking and explaining the incrementality story to, to investors, we said it's like, okay, um, advanced app developers will get why they already need this now. For the majority of the market, we expect maybe at some point to be a change. Apple made this uh, in blog post in WebKit in May of 2019. We never expect Apple to have announced it in June with a due date of September. I'm kind of glad for everybody that they delayed it and they're delaying it. But I agree with what you guys are saying. Like the execution is pretty horrific on the Apple's front. There is just barely any communication. Uh, there is the privacy gate that is just very vague. Um, no one really knows how to use um, like the, uh, what is it, conversion value um, basically. But and at least from what I see, everybody's kind of like, putting it on the attribution companies to handle, even though they also show that they don't really know what's going on. I think no one knows. That's kind of like the problem there. We've spoken with Facebook as well, and they seem to, again, they've been looking for solutions, ideas, and so on. But I agree, it kind of like uh, creates a weird reset for the industry, um, but a reset in a way where no one knows what's going on. I also agree with what you said, uh, Thomas, that like, uh, the only constant in our industry is change. If you've been here long enough, you know to not depend on anything because everything's going to change. I would question, though, what, it, given what Apple have announced so far, what, what more would you like to see from them? I mean, them t telling you explicitly how to use conversion value seems to me a bit of a stretch. Uh, I, th I think it's completely fair for them to announce the, sort of the, the exact date where the change is going to happen. Um, but outside that, I do wonder what more what more can they give to developers to, to help them? You know, I think you know they they've written the rules for the game. I think what they're saying is now now figure it out sort of thing. I, I don't think it's necessarily up to Apple to sort of completely build solutions for for app developers. Well, when I said that, like for me, you're you're right. It's not all on Apple, but like as an advertiser today, I say okay, I know this change is coming. I want to connect to Facebook, Google, Vungle, whoever it is, and I want to run a test campaign under Scat, and I can't today. Like, I mean, I, I've asked this question to a bunch of people who, who has actually 
run one test campaign. I say, oh, we managed to get one ping back. I said, this is not a test campaign. This is, you're just looking at like, and this was the best case scenario. It was one ad network that provided it. Like, and I want to see how it looks like or, or several MMP already have like sort of a simulation of a dashboard of how it looks like, which I think this is going in the right direction, but I've tried to use it. And honestly, I can't figure that this is what I'm going to get later. And I don't think this is what I'm going to get later. So it's probably like a common effort. And that's why this couldn't be done in three months. Like um, where I'm a little bit disappointed by everybody, not Apple, like networks, advertiser, MMPs, everybody is that in the change in the moment between mid-September when the delay was announced and today, actually there's very little update. The only one who's updated a little bit is Facebook, but that's it. Like I think here that that failed a little. Now, there are some things that are on Apple side and I mean, the document SKR network is not very well uh, put. Uh, I, I've seen a bunch of developers say, hey, just read that and we're good. And they came back to me like, oh, no, I don't understand any of it. Like when usually I send them the documentation and they know more than I do. So I had a lot of explanations to do. But also, I think there's a lot of use cases that weren't really planned. Like, how am I running influencer campaign, web to app traffic? Uh, what are the ways of doing re-engagement? Like, is there any remarketing possible? And tell me how. Like, they never mention any of it. Like. I but do you think? Do you think that's up? I guess. Do you think that's for Apple to define what what you can do with the tools that they give you? Yes, in the word tracking. For me, the big mistake from Apple is that they use tracking, the word tracking, in a way that is so different from the rest of the industry that they had to explain what they mean by tracking, um, because they have a very different understanding of what tracking means. And here, I think the definition was vague enough so that some people think it's as usual, some people think nothing is allowed and anywhere in, in all the shades of gray in between. And here, that particular one for me was a little bit shocking. Yeah, I, I think I kind of wanted to say exactly the same. When like Apple basically announced SKED Network 2.0 as, as an attribution framework, as a tracking framework, but it lacks so much of the explanation and the abilities and, and yeah, it's you know we're we're the same boat. You know we we are we're happy to do what we're doing with SKN Network, but we're now facing a limitation in terms of understanding. Okay, can we validate? Also, by the way, if and like I, I am working now on a piece that explains how I see the like I don't know the next trend of fraud. Um, that's not going to be an SKN Network related, but more the fact that you know SKN Network works um, if the user basically said. Well, I don't want to allow tracking on this app. And let's say on the second app, the users say, well, I do want to allow tracking. So MMP will work. Now, what if the user saw the ad on the first, clicked, didn't install, saw it on the second, did install? Are we going to see, again, crazy discrepancies? Are we going to see differences there in the tracking between attribution companies, SKN network? Um, now, I've also seen these cases where you know, you have um, like big developers announcing, like going public, for example, there is a Bumble, Bumble app is going public. And they basically said, we expect opt-in rate to be less than 20%. On the other hand, you already have ad networks going and saying, we have 80% opt-in rate. It's like, okay, interesting. And I see all these discrepancies and inability to actually validate any of this as like, oh, cool. Uh, there's a massive opening here for fraudsters to, again, enjoy. And then in a year from now, we're going to all be here talking about, I don't know, opt-in, IDFA, fraud, whatever label someone gives it. I have a funny anecdote to that point. I mean, it's it's a, it's a bit of a detail, but I think it's funny enough to, to mention, like not to the whole point, but just to these numbers between this 20% and this 80% is that both number can be true. Let's assume you've got an app with 80% and another one with 80%, you have to be at the, the intersection of both uh, for the tracking to work. So literally 80 by 80, we're at 0.64. But then because 40% of, of people won't even get the prompt, from this 64, you get a little bit less than half, which is around and let's say 25% of this crossing that's going to work for everybody, we're pretty f close to this 20%, you know? And I'm not even debating either of these metrics. I say they can actually 
both be true at the same time, which for most people is like, what? What did you just explain? Like, this is absolutely crazy. Um, and I don't know what the opt-in rate is going to be. I'm just saying like there's layers of understanding behind that makes that this different communication can actually both be true and, and you hear what you want to hear in a way. Let's move on to the next question. So mobile marketers have been victims of fads. Um, are there any new and coming that you guys noticed? I mean, I'm not sure it's a fad, but um, something that I think a lot of people are speaking about uh, lately is, is fingerprinting. Um, and it's definitely not new um, and has been done for a while. But I think, uh, you know, related to the previous question, um, there certainly is a fad around fingerprinting being the the end all uh, solution for 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 tracking and attribution uh, on iOS going forward. So I think you know it's going to have a short resurgence um, probably over this year, and I think it, I see it dissipating probably next year when um, when Apple really start clamping down on anyone who's who's fingerprinting. So yeah. Definitely a fab because I think it's going to come and go. Um, not new, but I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, talk in the industry that 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 will allow probably on smaller ad networks only, but allow people to continue to track as before. Um, you know, Apple certainly won't want that to continue. Um, they were pretty explicit around around track what's tracking, and um, well, maybe they weren't initially explicit about what was tracking, but. Uh, what IDs you could create uh, against a user uh, and use. And I think one of those was fingerprinting ID and they explicitly called out in their Q&A. Um, so you know, I think we'll see a fad of over this year, seeing um, smaller ad networks work with fingerprinting to, to, to target and attribute users. Um, won't, won't help on Facebook and Google and the other self-attributing networks, but I think we'll certainly see people trying to take advantage of that uh, in the short term. So I'd say that's a fad for now, but not new. What, what I'm seeing in terms of, I don't know if it's going to be in 2021 or a bit later, but on device data being assembled within the device based on some kind of a machine learning model, going back to server as aggregate data, either on blockchain technology I've started hearing or basically anything that's kind of like taking, um, I would say, well, taking first party, anonymizing it, packaging it in a way, kind of like a data management platform, but in reverse, coming from the device based on some model. I don't so know if it's going to be a... You mean device model data and then, and then try... It's not device model data. So it's um, looking at you, Paul, and what do you do with this app and trying to kind of like assemble a profile based on this and send you back to somewhere so that they can target similar users. So it's kind of like a reverse lookalike. I don't know. But I've, I've already started seeing companies working about on this and companies who have an SDK talking about this, thinking about it. How can we do this? Um, I don't know if it's a that, but for sure going public. Um, right now, there's so many ed tech companies going public. That's for sure. I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, Terry from um, Luma Partners um, kind of did like, you know, 2016, 17, 18, 2019, 2020, 1999, uh, which is kind of like a really interesting way to look at it because it, it's a weird bubble. Um, so many companies are getting crazy, amazing valuations, um, including companies who are subscale. Um, so I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing because some bad players are kind of like out of the industry and their valuation sucks and they probably lost 97% of their share value. But going public seems to be like, you know, um, the new black. Why, why, why do you think that's a fad though? It's a, it's a fad because many of these companies don't really have the ability to consistently generate the numbers that they are projecting. And I think that right now, well, we'll probably hit the, hit the COVID question later. I think that we as an industry are right now, you know, in, a, in an ideal situation. Um, like, and we can probably talk about it because we have a specific question we prepared about COVID-19. But I think that when something is a relatively short window of opportunity uh, and everybody's suddenly running into it, including companies that really should not be going public, um, then I think it's a little bit of a thought. It's a, well, they're doing it. We're going to do it. FOMO um, idea. 
yeah. Another, another fad, by the way, is whatever, whatever is Clubhouse, which I didn't yet get. I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it, but I don't know what I'll they should invite. <laughs> basically a live it's basically a live radio just uh you know at first live radio i mean that's how i see it um you know it's not podcast it's long talk to other people and you know just like another another old thing wrapped in a new new package but in terms of like ipos i think uh it's important to know to mention that the value of device graphs uh, is going to go down over time and whatever like those big dsps or networks have might not be as valuable uh, if you're not a publisher at the same time, um, mainly because as a publisher, you have idea fees and you'll still be able to understand where users are and what their behavior is. Uh, but when you're just like a DSP or like a network, potentially, it might be a little harder to understand who the users are. So that's why I agree with you that, you know, um, uh, it might not be that uh, perfect as we as a lot of people think. And I guess that most of these companies just find uh, this period very opportunistic for going IPO, kind of like what happened with ICOs a few years ago. And that's why everybody's talking about it. I'm jumping on the on the comments uh, from Nibo because I, I was reading earlier today the piece that Eric wrote about how gaming became a tech company building huge stack and stuff. And today we're seeing the ad tech company, uh, basically the networks entering gaming directly, buying studios and launching their own division, financing it sometimes, like depends acquiring or financing it. And and to go back to the question, I think this is not a fan. Like, it, it, especially if, like you say, the value of the device graph goes down, makes even more sense for this network to exploit the device uh, in a different way. And at the, the, the frontiers, the border between uh, the network side and the publisher side are actually blurring really, really fast. Uh, can this be the really beginning of a completely new paradigm in the industry where the actors are not as defined as they are now? I don't know where it's going, but I don't think we're going to be able, I don't think we're going to label it as a complete fad, that one. So maybe I answered the fad question with a non-fad. Um, and, and one commentary I wanted to make on the question itself, like to answer it, is maybe because I'm not native, I'm hearing fad as something that comes and goes. And I, I had the feeling in your answer that that was ne necessarily a negative things, neg like a negative thing that it's it's like, like a bad fad, let's say. But we're in an industry that has lived out of fads for 10 years. But I mean, suddenly it's Flappy Bird. Suddenly it's fingerprinting. It's not only the app tech, it's also the app itself. Even sub-verticals, the Yo app, you know, hot dog on like Silicon Valley saw it coming all the time. This is exactly what our industry is about. If you think hot dog or not hot dog is like a parody, it's not. This is how a lot of verticals are like booming and suddenly disappearing. Like I worked in the fitness vertical for a while and there are some consolidated players with lots of common goals, sometimes with decent USP, sometimes with complete bullshit USP. It's just the nature of this industry that it, the fact that it moves so fast makes that there are a lot of fad. Some good ones, some bad ones. Uh, I don't think Clubhouse is going to be a fad, but maybe in six months we don't talk about it anymore. Like, it's, maybe it's another Meerkat or Periscope. Were Meerkat or Periscope bad thing? I don't think so. But they came, and a year later, nobody hear about them anymore. Uh, I think it's the nature of the industry we live in. Um, and we also have to embrace that fact that we're rushing to think because we don't know if they're going to vanish or not. Like, there's a lot of, of FOMO. Like, I mean, the growth rates of those so impressive. You have to jump in early or you're late on everything. And, and it creates this thing that there's fads everywhere. I don't think it's going to stop. I don't have a specific example of ones that's coming, but I'm convinced that everybody's going to keep jumping on things super fast. This is the nature, nature of what we do. Uh, so look, Petrock. Petrock was a, was a fad we can... We can name it as a bad fad. Okay, it was good for the inventor of pet rock. Clubhouse, again, seems like a, a fad that is starting a new area of, I don't know, messaging app and so on. I still don't fully get it. That's what I'm saying. I got an invite. I was very excited to be on it, but I have no idea what do I do with it. I do think fingerprinting is like a fad to a certain extent uh, because simply it's not precise and it's really, really risky on IS to do a fingerprinting on IS, especially if you have a lot of organics. Um, uh, simply, it's, it's not as accurate as people think. And 
and you know the fact that some players in the claim that fingerprinting is kind of like a great solution um you know uh further down the road we'll probably figure out that it's not so what are like it doesn't matter whether apple will say it's good or bad um it's just not good for developers and you know over time we'll get there um so i do think it's a bad or like at least in the context we're mentioning it right now let's move on to another question so as we said What will be the long-term effects of COVID-19 over the mobile advertising ecosystem? Um, I don't think we'll ever see another like year like this in terms of time spent in mobile. So I think, I think what it will do is, um, I think in terms of converting people to new forms of content, it's done an excellent job of that. But I don't think we're ever going to see the, the type of engagement in the content that we saw this year. So, you know, Thomas has mentioned a couple of times sort of fitness apps. I think it's, I think it's reasonable to, to assume that in some verticals, um, we're going to see uh, significant adoption and probably a degradation of, the, of, of something else in, in lieu of that. Uh, I think fitness apps may be a good example. So people going less to the gym and more using fitness apps just because they like the convenience and, and the trackability and, and things like that. Um, But I think, and then, you know, talking about sort of mobile gaming, another vertical, I think, I think, I think COVID brought an, uh, a, new, a new set of users to mobile gaming. So a bunch of people were converted to a, a form of content that they pre- previously didn't engage with, uh, especially sort of the casual genre. I think that was uh, probably one of the bigger beneficiaries because, you know, there's a lot of people who weren't particularly sophisticated. Um, they, they're now going to go from casual to other genres as they get more, more uh, familiar with, with gaming types. Um, so I think there's going to be some sort of, conver- there's definitely going to be people converted to, to mobile content and the ab- advertising industry is going to benefit from that. Uh, but we're just never going to see this, this level of engagement in mobile content. People are never going to spend this amount of time on their mobile devices. You know, if you can't go out all day, you, be, you know, people are stuck on their mobile devices. So in terms of introduction to new content, I think we've seen a ton of examples there. Um, but we're going to see less engagement in aggregate, I would say. Um, I, so I, I also think like basically COVID was a trifecta event for us. Um, it's, it's weird and it's hard to say. It's obviously it's a terrible pandemic that's uh, um, affected a lot of people around the world. But uh, for our industry, whether if we're looking at the edtech side of things or the mobile side of things or specifically the mobile game side of things, the subscription apps, Well, people are at home, they're bored, um, they have a lot more disposable income, and they are hungry for content. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I think that a lot of people have more disposable income. I spoke with a, um, like a fintech uh, app from the States, and uh, I, was, I was asking them, is this um, pandemic good or bad for your business? It's actually terrible for their business because uh, people have way less credit card debt right now in the U.S., Um, so again, it's giving a lot of um, like specifically digital first verticals a bump that well, and I think that some of it will stay like if uh, you know the percent of people who were never who never ordered food, who never uh, did mobile payment, who've now done it, they're likely gonna stay. They're likely gonna stick around in terms of like, well, they know how to do it now, they are able to do it again, they're comfortable with it. So it, it gave a boost to our industry in ways that no one could have expected. You know, my um, paranoid uh, side sometimes thinks if Corona wasn't like a plot by uh, Amazon and uh, the food delivery companies, you know. Um, I mean, I'm not going to agree on the last part, but uh, I agree on, on, on the former part where... I mean, yeah, maybe we're never going to see that peak in terms of engagement. But if we think long term and not what happened the first couple of months of lockdown, I think that the real long term effect here is on the user side, like adoption of, of digital and mobile in, in a massive extent. And as, as you both of you said, I don't think it's going to go down. Like, I mean, as soon as like it's all open and we go to parks and party and whatnot, I think this adoption is going to remain like it's not going to fall back to previous levels, but it's not only at user level. And I think here, like the, the way I see it for the industry itself, it was just an acceleration of many things of adoption for user, but also adoption. If you look like a sort of bigger company that have been repeating for the last seven years, oh, this year is the year of mobile. I, I see like 
every you know in january like oh this is the year of mobile this is the year of mobile since 2012 or something like every year but suddenly like a lot of bigger organization and corporation who actually struggle to make the move they had to do the move like it's not something that happened one day to another but organization have changed remote work is normal uh, and personally I, i've told a few people and it's complete hypothesis i don't have proof that the fact that the the ad inventory especially on on facebook and google because they're not as linked with the mobile gaming industry uh has gone up that much this year it always go up and it always go up in q4 but that year was complete like massacre is i believe that a lot of companies that were lagging back retail and bigger corporation they finally accelerated their transition to digital in general like not to the app world necessarily but like really move, start finally starting moving pieces from employees to distribution to marketing to all of it and i think this is is also like it's just been an acceleration of a trend that was already there and this is not coming back like if anything it's going to there's going to be even more of it but uh definitely like it was a a game changer and i think for for bigger companies you work very close to mobile gaming you have to realize at one point that mobile gaming is a pioneer like you're opening you're opening the way for a lot of smaller non gaming apps who are themselves opening the way for bigger companies and retail and so on like this is the nature of things there's a saying I, i often give to people when i give classes and i show gaming example and that like, yeah but we're not a game i say look gaming is to apps what porn was to e-commerce and they opened the way and then we all do the same we just copy the playbook and because you guys work with pioneer but i think we're missing out that there's a lot of people who hadn't adopted uh that are coming in both on the user side and on on like i'm expecting competition from big brands to be a lot tougher than it's been until recently and this for me is going to be a long term effect of color, like an acceleration due to color. yeah i'm i'm going to oppose that a little bit just to make this this a little more fun um i think these things are quite cyclical uh you know and and basically if people are obsessed with like mobile content now but they might not be the case like one that once this is over simply as a re- response to kind of like overconsumption um and if you think about it like you know facebook like introduced like real identities and then you know our moms and dads started posting photos everywhere and then snapchat came as a response to that where like you know newer generation doesn't want to doesn't on store videos and images and doesn't want to keep like track of all the messages they ever sent. So I wouldn't be surprised if people kind of rediscover brick and mortar stores. <laughs> This is ended just to, for the sake of like the feeling they're going to get by like going out finally after so long and being able to do so. But uh I completely agree with you like on the acceleration point. I think what what this period did to e-learning for example is massive. You know like the adoption of e-learning and the ability that now kids in you know, remote places can like study from home and you know like people got used to video chat like you know even you know in I'm from Serbia like a year ago like you know or like two years ago it was almost impossible to get like my parents on the phone to like video chat for like an hour but now like it's kind of like a necessity and the only way to talk to your friends and family so I think it did like wonders on the adoption side but there might be some backlash and people might go back to spending less time on their phones simply because they you know they don't want to do that anymore it just you know it's been too you know too much for too long and they want to do something else um and i can see that myself too like my eyes are just getting tired like you know tired pretty much much uh quicker it's a sign of me aging but it just like pretty much every content i'm enjoying right now including work is happening on a on a device and that's not necessarily good and people might be just like you know i need some break and we might be witnessing the peak mobile right now or the peak digital um but I'm probably wrong which is good for a whole us here. I no I I think we're in peak. I I think there there is a peak. I can't think what it is. I mean I I can tell you what I want to do for the rest of 2021 which is basically travel. Uh and so I'm just not going to be on I'm, I'm I'm a sample size of one but I think a lot of people don't want to spend all their time on their mobile device. I think that's pretty natural. So I I agree. I I don't think the yeah that was my point. I don't think adoption is going to change. I think people are going to stick with the the new things that they like. Um but they're just not going to be as they're not going to use them as much as they did do last year. It's a pretty long free trial, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like maybe you know maybe we guys we need we need to kind of like accept reality like in March, you know, we all went to like the first lockdown at least here in Europe that was supposed to be two weeks. It's been uh, uh 
slightly more than two weeks. And uh, I think that, you know, if, if we just accept reality and know that this, this is going to be with us in 2021, you know, travel is not going to go to normal level for three, roughly three years. That's what the estimations say. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be some time. So I, I don't know if we're at the peak yet. And, and I, I don't know if we've seen the end of it. I, I do think that, uh, well, obviously right now it's, it's here. I'm, I'm in Berlin, so it's winter. So Corona Shmorona would be pretty much doing the same thing. Um, come summer, okay, yeah, we're going to probably do some stuff, but I think the ability to travel like we used to and just, you know, be in the pool with like 50 other people is not going to happen anytime soon, fortunately, by the way. I guess, I guess both vision are, are, are true in parallel again in the sense that, I mean, clearly I, I see the, the need of, I need to socialize, I need to get out, I need to see my friends, I need to be in a park or to travel. If the sample is not one, but founder who existed in the last six months, then maybe that's traveling. But I think it, it's what we both say that looks antithetic is actually compatible in the sense that not less time spent, like content consumption on mobile, because we're fucking fed up at looking at a, at, at a, at a six-inch screen, but there will still be a lot of adoption and consumption done on mobile. Maybe I want to go back to a retail store, but I'm going to have previewed some stuff or I'm going to order or I'm going to have it delivered or whatever. Like I'm going to use my mobile to interact with these services a lot more than I would have done before. So it doesn't mean that I'm going to have the eyes stuck on the mobile the whole time, but I'm going to have, Hey, I could do that on my mobile. I, I still want it. Even though I'm in the park, I'm meeting somebody, I'm in a store, I'm in a Starbucks, I'm in a whatever. Like I'm still going to come and say, I don't want you to touch anything here. I mean, I'm happy to be here, but I'm not touching shit. Like I'm, I'm ordering from there. And I think here the two points can merge, except obviously for companies who heavily rely, maybe maybe in mobile gaming, you really need people to have the, the eyes stuck. So it's less applicable. Uh, but for the big retail, when I say they digitalize themselves, it's not entirely they move to having us be eyes stuck on mobile, but that they merge their business with I can do more for you through the mobile and still attract you in my super concept store or whatever it is like in the physical world. So it's more of a, of a, of a merging of both of, of the best of both worlds in a way. Uh, and I think both visions were compatible in the first place. Yeah, that's pretty much what I meant by a really, really long free trial. You know, I mean, a lot of people will never go to a gro to do grocery shopping again because they kind of had to do it initially over the phone and now it's just convenient. And it's so much better than spending two hours there and doing all the impulse buying. So yeah, maybe we should move on. This is a fun topic. Yes, you know, non we tried not a controversial question this time. So uh, obviously we're referring to the US political climate. I think that the election in Germany doesn't really influence that much um, the marketing world. But uh, um, yeah, how do you think the political climate is going to influence what we're doing? Um, you know, just, uh, you know, if I start with my own two cents, obviously Twitter is going to lose some traffic or probably has already lost some traffic. Um, I assume the larger stimulus checks were going to start uh, flowing back and not the uh, 600 bucks, uh, but the 2K ones, which again, I think gives some people more disposable income, especially those who have some income and are now able to actually use it to spend more. I also think that um, the political climate change in the States probably taking Corona more seriously means more lockdowns. And this will probably put more eyes on screen, even though we are, you know, we want some sunshine. And the other thing, if I, I also think that, you know, that's kind of like a bit more in a macro trend. If uh, like the US versus China economical uh, war is done, uh, then maybe the you know, Chinese companies are back in the game when it comes to M&A of U.S. companies. A couple of those, of course, were were stopped uh, by the Trump administration. And I think the Dem Democratic administration is a bit more open to uh, to cross-border M&A. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough topic. I mean, my main concern here is like, or the thing that I think about is like, what's going to be happening on the antitrust part of things and what are like, you know, the, the new administration will... Uh, what they're kind of uh, 
attitude or kind of opinion is about like big tech companies, you know, Apple and Google and whether they should be broken apart or stay the way they are. I think that's probably the, the biggest impact on, on our day to day. Uh, and in, in terms of like how COVID is being treated and stimulus checks, I'm not sure that's going to have a huge impact um, uh, simply because that happened in the past. Vaccination might have a huge impact and we might end up in that other part of the cyclical cycle uh, sooner than, than what we expected. But overall, I, I, I don't think it's going to have that, that uh, huge of an impact. Um, what about you, Paul, Thomas, any? Yeah. I, I agree with you on, I mean, I agree with you on the regulation on big tech, but I don't think that's going to be a 2021 thing. I, I think if it, if it gets sorted in 2023, that will be an achievement by the administration. I, it's going to be a long time. There's going to be a lot of lawsuits. If you look at Microsoft, it wasn't uh, decided in a year. Although, you know, the FTC, the DOJ have been working, working on this for a while. It's just going to, it's going to take a long time. Um, so I, th I think there's going to be continued, uh, work there but i don't see any of the big tech companies making any you know, reacting to that in any way why why would you just continue what you're doing until someone tells you you can't um and uh so i don't see, yeah i didn't although i think it will continue i don't see that really changing uh how people market over this this year i think um, if if i would be apple i'm now working on an apple search engine as a replacement for i mean they've been work, they've been working on that for years yeah, I, people I think, keep saying they should do it. They've been doing it for years. It's just not good enough. Yeah, but I think it's again that's definitely the opportunity for them. If if iPhones uh, needs to basically show this pop up, hey, do you want to pick the Google one, the DuckDuckGo, or the Apple Search? I think you're gonna. It gives them a massive opportunity. Plus twelve billion dollars um, net, which is like I think twenty percent of their profits, is a big enough incentive for them to actually put more resource on the. Apple search engine. It's also an incentive not to do it because it's fucking yeah, easy. I money. agree. Well, and, and also then you become more of a monopoly, right? So I, I think that that's but the are reason. They, that... Are they a monopoly, a monopoly? So Google, you could claim, is a monopoly, but how is Apple a monopoly? Um, well, they're a, I guess they're a vertically integrated monopoly, well, duopoly, right? So that, that would be the challenge. With That's the reason not to do it. But as I said, they're just going to do it because unless someone stops you, why wouldn't why would why would you why wouldn't you just do it? Because because you can also argue it's the right thing to do. We you know it, for all reason why you shouldn't really do it. Um, it just could potentially harm advertisers or public or uh, consumers because it might not be as good, like Apple Maps. Great. My, my, my thought on the question were really aligned with you guys in the sense that the biggest change might be legislation of tech that can affect like marketing, um, especially since I, I was reading about like the new commissioner that might come to the FTC that has like, a, 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 let's say, very strong stances on tech. Uh, and I think that's good because there, there's a momentum around that and it's good we have a reflection. But I also completely agree with Paul. Like we're, we're not talking about six months decisions here. Like those are really like industry defining change that makes years to come to the debate, then years to be debated and we're there and then make a decision which is gonna be followed by lawyers for like years. Google in particular is gonna put like billions of dollars of lawyers to delay and soften the blow as much as possible. And I don't think in the scope of like a four year administration, we're going to see this change in effect into how apps are, are doing the marketing. Like, I think this is way too short of a, of a time frame to consider the scope of, of massive change. And maybe, maybe we go too late to do it, but yeah, those changes, they're so big, they're going to take a long time to come into effect. So I, I agree with Paul on that, but yeah, there's a more into around it. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of it in the press and we're going to hear a lot about it. Doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to feel the effect on, on the day-to-day -day of, of marketing. It, generally speaking, and I'm not American here, I think we overestimate actually the impact of an administration or, or another. I mean, there are something that was done and undone and Obamacare and the Paris climate and whatnot. But if you look at the, uh, the whole scope of, like when Obama was first elected, everybody thought, oh, it's going to be completely different. And you look after eight years, honestly, America doesn't look so different to me than it was before Obama. It was supposed to be a complete change. 
And then you've got the complete opposite, which is Trump. And everybody say, oh, America is going to be completely different. And then we're four years after that. And to me, a lot of the reputation has changed. A lot of the press coverage has changed. But how things really work behind, change isn't that big. Like, because those trends, they really, they, they really take a long time. We can move to the next question. And by the way, just reminding that the, the title of our roundtable is Predictions, Premonitions for, for 2021 and the Years to Come. Mm. Ah, so, let's, you know, Paul, do you think Apple will uh, release a search engine by 2050? Yes. <laughs> cool. Thomas, will, will Google release a Google car by, <laughs> you know, 2100? They'll take any market that they can they can be at sixty percent plus market share. So maybe car is not necessarily one, but maybe they run the software on ninety nine percent of cars that are distributed to other brands, so that they don't fall into any scrutiny. Uh, that would be more likely, like that they run the software for every electric car around. Uh, definitely. Yeah, and Nibo uh, is Zynga gonna monetize the Martian users? <laughs> um yeah not sure i'm gonna catch up i just joined i'm not really there yet when it comes to our mars mission let's move on to another question is there an opportunity with voice search outside the closed walls actually is there an opportunity with voice search yeah, my, question, yeah, my main concern there is like can you monetize voice um you know like i think a lot of these like spotify and subscription apps try to monetize uh using using uh pretty much like radio like or you know voice ads uh, but it's so much harder than because the, those ads are not intrusive and it's really, really hard to do proper performance marketing with them. Um, and that's my main concern for Clubhouse as well. Um, you know, how are they going to monetize? Um, I mean, the only way I see here is subscription. Uh, but for a free product, I'm just not sure. what is. Or like for a search product, I'm not sure what you can use subscription, which is why it makes more, the most sense for Amazon and, and companies like Amazon to do it and not like some independent third party uh yeah i i agree with with nebo i mean f firstly you know the question is around is there anything outside amazon google and apple from on, on the voice search side i i guess my answer is probably no um i think the bigger question on voice is as nebo says sort of monetization or audio and voice so i i think so the audio i mean it's not the next medium because podcasts have been around for 10 years but i think if there's anything to figure out over this year how to effectively monetize audio is probably one of the big challenges that, that I would like to see tackled. Um, because if you think about how you spend your time, you know, sitting in front of a screen and watching video is it's very engaging and it's all consuming in terms of your attention. And so you can't really do anything else. And so I think there's a ton of potential to do audio ads effectively. I just don't think I've necessarily seen it that done yet. Um, so I think in terms of audio, I think the monetization piece is, is the most critical piece. And, and that will then open up a ton of opportunities in terms of content and search. Um, but until that piece is solved, I don't think there's a huge market there. I mean, you know, podcasting to me, although, you know, Joe Rogan got a $100 million deal from Spotify, you know, that's really supported by subscription revenue from Spotify, not by, um, not by actually direct monetization. So I think that's the piece that we need to see around audio. I like how you shifted the debate from like the voice search opportunity, which has search in it. So of course, Amazon, Google and Apple are already controlling a large part of this market because they have the mobile device and they have the home device. I don't know how you call it, the, the home and Alexa and stuff. So search is there. It's, I mean, it's going to be really hard to compete with that. But the rise of audio business in general and... Of course, like Spotify and podcast and stuff, but there's a lot of audio niche here and there. I work with uh, Speechify, which transformed like uh, any text into a sort of an audiobook. Huge growth, like from zero to um, eight digits yearly in, in a year, like crazy. You look at Blinkist, you look at Active in the fitness space. Uh, like there's so many, you look at Clubhouse in the social network space. Like, there's so many products that are moving to audio. Like it's really a, a like, huge trend there um, that is much bigger for me than just the voice search. Am I going to use my mobile just by giving instruction? 
yeah, maybe, but for me, this is a small part of the story of the audio, which is like sort of bigger. I think what will revolutionize the voice search part is the day I don't need the screen anymore. Like, I, I, like control, I actually the screen becomes secondary. I look at it less, I just give. And, but the interesting part for me is this audio trend. And you look at it like on the monetization question, which is really there, you look at it very much because you guys work in the ads monetization part and you're like, yeah, those ads, they're really intrusive. If I look at what Spotify is doing with the audio ads, for me, it's clear that their goal is to be as annoying as possible so that you would subscribe. The ads, they're not there to generate revenue through the, the ads themselves. They're there to be so awful and the sound is so loud. And actually, they want shit advertiser. So it makes it even more annoying, which pushes you into the subscription, which is the whole model. And here, I don't think we're going to be able to push ads into the audio format the way we did on the, on the screen formats. Uh, but that gives an opportunity for non-ads monetization. Like, I mean, you look at, at even podcast or Clubhouse could actually really fit subscription. Imagine on Clubhouse, a model that would replicate what Substack did. There's a free part, there's a paid subscription part on Clubhouse. And I can see that how it could play in. Like podcast is a little bit particular because it's a little bit between Spotify and Apple. So it's a little bit different. But if we take the Clubhouse model, uh, especially since they have this common investor, you could you could imagine that Clubhouse and Substack would, would sort of think of a common model to, to make money there. But through ads, I see it very complicated. Yeah. I kind of want to take us immediately to a, a question that wasn't next, but jumping straight to it. Subscription model will continue to flourish or will it decay? My, my, Thomas, my, the floor is my, yours. My, my income depends on it, so I'm going to say it's flourishing for sure. <laughs> I guess it depends on how much time frame you look. But for me, like we're not even like we haven't even seen we're not at the end of the beginning. It's just the middle of the beginning. Everything is moving subscription. I don't think this is coming back. Like you talk to somebody who's less than 25 years old, they're like, yeah, why would I have my own car? This is stupid. Like, uh, there's no way I want, but I want the all you can eat Uber model, or I want to, I pay this fixed stuff and I've got a new car all the time. And I'm saying car, but uh, like, I'm selling a bunch of startup, like in the subscription for furniture, for example, like, uh, and all of it. If we take the context of apps themselves, I think there's definitely a lot of growth ahead. Um, some that we already see, some that we're not seeing, like more bundles. And like, I think bundles have a long way to come here because there's also something that is true is that there's some kind of subscription fatigue that might hit at some point. I, I've seen a, a product that was actually a subscription manager, like to manage all your subscription because you've got so many of them now. Um, I think it's just the beginning. Uh, I'm very bullish on that because I work in it, but uh, I talk to investors about it, uh, a few products. You talk to the revenue cap people. I mean, they're like, this is, if you look at it beyond the context of only apps, then definitely it's going to explode in, in, in life in general. For apps in particular, it's got a couple of really nice year coming. I don't really know what's after that, but uh, beyond apps, big one. I was going to say, I think Nebo said sort of everything's cyclical. And I think, you know, subscriptions are having their, their resurgence now on, on mobile. Um, you know, obviously they, they had it in magazines, newspapers, and, now, and then online newspapers. I think it's natural they're going to get more adoption uh, in mobile apps, especially as um, Apple sort of push out their changes. It gets more interesting to monetize through dependable income. I mean, you just... There is going to be subscription fatigue, though. It's just undoubt, undoubtable that that people are going to, you know, if if I have ten streaming app, video streaming apps on my device and I'm paying ten bucks each of them, it's more than I was ever paying for a cable channel. It's just unlikely that people are going to continue to do that. So I think there'll there'll be some consolidation and then there'll be fragment fragmentation again. So. Um, I think there'll always be a large cohort of, of consumers who want free stuff. I think where you have a really tight relationship with the, the content developer, you know, they're, they're really an emotional attachment to them. I think you'll be prepared to pay a, for a subscription. But where you don't have a strong emotional attachment to that content or that experience, there's no way that you're going to pay for a subscription. So there's going to be a vast amount of, of content that you consume that's going to still be monetized through ads. Uh, through ads. 
So I think for sure um, subscription is going to grow, uh, but it's but you know people don't have that high an affinity with that many that many pieces of experiences or pieces of content. Um, is my is my sort of. I think the, the way I see it, it's not an or. You know, moving back from subscription, what's coming ahead? It's an end. Like uh, because. I see a lot of subscription business, they have a problem. They look at mobile gaming and they're like, yeah, but this game, they're so competitive compared to me. Well, yeah, why? Because the model is based on like variants and there's wealth and subscription have this low ceiling where yep. the top consumer, they all spend the same thing. And it's problematic for the business. What I'm envisioning is that it's going to be a lot more mixed models in the future, making the best of both worlds, like of the natural uh, good parts of the subscription, but also limits that they have today is going to go a lot more towards mixed model. And I'm already seeing the most sophisticated developers uh, moving to models where they are either subscription and ads or subscription and IAPs and even a lot of subscription and offline stuff. Like maybe you can order like a mental health app that has a hundred bucks a year subscription, but you can book a one-to-one -one conversation with a, with, with a professional in the app on video chat for a hundred or 200 bucks um straight on and i'm seeing a lot more mixed models coming in i i, I don't know for, for myself by the way i think we are we are just tapping into the ice like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to subscription and again we we very much think of digital we think of streaming we think of games but i don't know i've i've, I've heard i've heard zara starting with a subscription process uh, like a um, model and for me this makes sense this makes sense on the one hand, of course, for the consumer, okay? You're going to, in any case, buy clothes. Why not commit to a store? From a business standpoint, to have committed revenues means so much uh, to their own valuation, allows them to actually build up value, allows them to probably reduce prices. So I think that we're going to see more industries find a way to tap into the subscription model. Of course, we've seen it with cars. I don't know how it is in the States, but here there's like, 30 car companies, scooter companies, whatever companies that I can just take uh, from anywhere and just drop it. It's a, an amazing like increase of quality of life, I would say, for me as a consumer. And again, maybe I'm also a sample size of one living in Berlin. Um, but I, I just think that, yeah, probably I'm not going to have seven streaming services subscribed, um, you know, and right now the competition amongst them, the fact that like, you know, Apple TV plus is pretty much free, but I have no idea what's on it. Um, but Disney is really, really great value as long as it's now in like, you know, entering markets, but probably three years from now it'll be as like, you know, costing like a Netflix. But uh, point is that like some areas of my life will be better managed with subscriptions. So I think that uh, Thomas, you picked a, pretty good area to specialize on the area picked me i didn't pick actually uh, <laughs> but i i think what you say is true outside of the app world is really true because the younger generation cares about owning a lot less than we used to um a lot of things and i took the example of cars because in my generation owning a car was like yeah i want to own it's my car you know i'm gonna bring people in my car yeah, somebody who's younger say, I don't give a shit if it's my car or not. Like, I just, you know, it's a utility. And I think there's a lot of mindset that has changed around that uh, in the in the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add that, you know, people are smarter about subscriptions now than maybe a year ago. Uh, that's probably like, a, you know, a byproduct of COVID. And I don't know, what do you, what do you um, read about Disney Plus uh, earnings? And they were kind of surprised by like the high return rate. And that, that's it. That's the response. Um, from the users, you know, they're not going to pay 10 different subscription products. Uh, and what we're going to probably see is more of like Apple One bundles, uh, because people are, you know, they're smart enough. They're not going to, it's, it's not a gym where you feel guilty about not going in and you keep paying for it. Uh, instead, it's more of a content treadmill where, uh, you know, if, if Netflix is not churning out good shows every month, people are going to stop paying for it. So it's a great business model, but it's also a very demanding one, uh, at least on the content side. That, that applies to content. I, I have an interesting anecdote that is outside of content. I, I make a very big distinction between utility subscription, content subscription, and what I call motivation subscription, which a lot of apps are about. Uh, and here you see a crazy example that has, I think, doubled across the last year or two. 
which is the amount of user that the next thing they do after they start a free trial on, on Apple or Google, which owns a transaction, is they go to settings and they cancel it immediately, which they know they can have the content for like seven days or 30 days or three days, depending on the model, and then they're not going to pay. But this behavior used to be completely anecdotal, like a couple of dudes would do it. And a few developers I'm working with, like a third of all free trial, they have this behavior. Like they immediately go and cancel straight away. Like they say, you have to convince me again if you want to, if you, and like there is definitely a lot of, of like sort of uh, education and sophistication around, around the user. This is partly because we're at the beginning of how this subscription, there are also a lot of users who feel scammed, like, hey, you, you charged me and I didn't know. Yeah, you knew it's just, you're not. They're, they're all things that are very new to us. And I think we're gonna see a lot of behavioral change based on, on people growing up with subscription and finding it a lot more normal. Guys, uh, we could probably continue this conversation for a couple more hours, but that's all the time we had today. So, wanna thank you all for participating. Very interesting conversation. I'm glad we were not so polite and so sometimes we did interrupt one another and make some uh, opposing points. That's also awesome. Uh, thank you, Paul, for co-hosting this uh, with me. And uh, by the way, Thomas, you earlier mentioned, you know, the year of mobile, the year of mobile. So about 11 years ago, I was, uh, I met Paul at the trade show. He was already working for a mobile first company and I was still on the desktop telling him, yeah, Paul, next year is the year of mobile is like, no more. It's now switch now to mobile. And I do, I, I'm pretty grateful for Paul for pushed me over the edge uh, to this tiny side of the screen. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Cool debate. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.